In this recording, we're going to go through one of Rab Chaim's important interpretations and insights as to what qualifies as a Muna, Jewish faith, under Jewish law. And the flip side of that is who is considered a heretic under Jewish law. Now, as usual, Rab Chaim's going to suggest some very penetrating and important ideas in order to explain the view of the Rambam. But as we'll see, Rab Chaim's approach and view on this issue is very much on one extreme, and it differs in many ways from the more mainstream consensus approach. The issue that Rab Chaim is commenting on is that in general, in halacha, we give flexibility or leeway to a valid excuse. So let's say someone legitimately is unable to get matzahs over Pesach, so then they would have a valid excuse called an ones for why they didn't fulfill the mitzvah of matzah. Likewise, if someone is totally unable to hear the shofar, so again, we would consider them an ones it's not their fault that they were unable to fulfill the mitzvah. The question is, do we apply this leniency of ones to the mitzvah of having proper faith? So there are rules about what Jews must believe, and if a Jew does not believe one of those things, so then that has halachic consequences. The question is, what if someone does not believe what they're supposed to, but they are an ones, they have a valid excuse. So do we apply the overall leniency of ones? There's a certain flexibility or leeway even when it comes to matters of faith and a person who has a valid excuse would not be considered a heretic or do we not apply that leniency and when it comes to matters of faith, it doesn't matter why someone doesn't believe so long as they do not believe that qualifies them as a heretic. So that's the issue that Rab Chaim's commenting on and he has a very penetrating insight in this regard into the view of the Rambam. Now, we don't have this tradition from Rab Chaim's own pen, but this is quoted by one of his students, Rab Elchanan Wasserman, in his work, Kovetz Ma'amarim, which is a collection of Rab Elchanan Wasserman's essays on matters of faith. So in the third essay of that work, he quotes Rab Chaim's view on this. As usual, Rab Chaim is explaining a view of the Rambam. The Rambam in Hilchus Tshuva Paragimel Halacha Zayin holds that anyone who believes that God has physical form is considered a heretic. So one of the 13 principles of faith of the Rambam is that God has no physical form whatsoever. We can't describe God in any of the physical terms that we know about. And the Rambam believes so strongly in this that anyone who denies that, who does believe that God has some physical corporeal form, is considered a heretic, which affects their halachic status, as well as that they don't get any reward in the next world. So that's the Rambam's ruling on this issue. Now, the Ravid famously disagrees, and he agrees with the Rambam that God has no form. He's not disagreeing about the content of this idea, but he doesn't believe that someone who mistakenly thinks that God does have physicality is considered a heretic. So the issue the Ravid has with the Rambam is the extension of this point to say that anyone who denies it is considered a heretic. And the reason the Ravid questions this is because if someone read through the Tanakh and all of the stories and descriptions of God there, or if someone learned through the Gemara and the way they describe and talk about God, so one would very well get the sense that God does have a physical form. There's Yad Hashem, the hand of God. There's Etzba Elohim, the finger 
finger of God. It talks about his chair, his legs. So basically, there's a lot of misleadingly worded stories in the Tanakh and the Gemara that if someone just read through them simplistically without being able to properly analyze, they would come away with the idea that God has a physical form. So the Ravid believes that we cannot penalize someone for making a valid mistake and having read through the Tanakh and Gemara and understood it on a literal level. So we're not going to then turn around and label this person a heretic because they made a valid mistake in their study and interpretation of the Tanakh and the Gemara. They tried their best to interpret these works as properly as they could. They were trying to study Torah, which is, of course, a wonderful project. So we're not going to penalize them for having misunderstood it and come away with the wrong idea. So Rebbe Hanun quotes that Rab Chaim had a solution for the Rambam's approach to answer the Ravid's question. And that is that Rab Chaim suggested that the Rambam holds that there are no excuses when it comes to matters of belief. So even though in other areas of halacha we do apply leniency when someone is an onus, they have a valid excuse, but the issue of emuna is an exception. We do not accept any excuses. So even though this person made a mistake because they were studying the Torah, so it was in no way their fault, but that still doesn't matter because we don't apply the leniency of onus to the issue of emuna. When it comes to emuna, a person must believe in the fundamentals of faith. And if they do not believe in those fundamentals of faith for whatever reason, so then they're considered a heretic. So that's why the Rambam is not interested in whether this person has a valid reason for why they think that God has a body. Since the matter of the fact is that they do not believe in one of the 13 principles of faith, so the end result, however they got there, is that they do not have proper faith. So that automatically means that they're considered a heretic regardless of whether they have a valid excuse. And Rab Chaim's well-known phrase in Yiddish to sharply express this was Nebach is Oichen Someone who's a heretic, but it's not their fault. They're a Nebach. It's just bad luck is still labeled an Apikoros. Now, there's a very important background point to Rab Chaim's approach, which is according to Rab Chaim, when someone is labeled a heretic in halacha, it's not necessarily a punishment. It's not necessarily that we're saying, since this person doesn't have proper faith, therefore they're going to be punished by God in the next world, and they're punished by being excluded from the Jewish people. It's something more profound. What we're saying is that in order to be included in the Jewish people, a person must have basic faith. The definition of being a part of the Jewish people is someone who shares in the major faiths of the Jewish religion, which are the 13 principles of faith. So anyone who does not share in those beliefs is automatically excluded from the Jewish people, not as a punishment, but because they didn't earn their entry into the Jewish people. So that's why it doesn't matter whether there's a valid excuse or not. That's only relevant when it comes to holding someone responsible. So if we want to know whether someone is responsible for not having done the mitzvah of matzah, for example, so that depends whether they have a valid excuse, 
whether they were an ones or not. So the category of ones is very relevant when it comes to holding people responsible. But when it comes to the matters of faith, the Torah is not punishing the heretic. It's not saying that since he's a bad person, therefore he's excluded from the Jewish people and doesn't get rewarded in the world to come. It's saying that since he was not a part of the Jewish people, not that it's a punishment, it's just a statement of fact that since this person never earned their place in the Jewish people because they did not believe in those beliefs that define the Jewish people, so therefore they're excluded from that community, and that's what we call a heretic. So that's why it's irrelevant whether it was their fault or not. It doesn't matter whether they have a valid excuse or not, because even if they do have a good excuse, so that just means they're not responsible and they don't deserve a punishment, which is true. But the fact remains that they're not a part of the Jewish people. So this is different than many of us think about it. We ordinarily assume that every Jew is automatically part of the Jewish people and people can lose it if they have improper faith. But Rab Chaim is presenting it differently, that being part of the Jewish people is earned through sharing the faith of the Jewish people. Anyone who does not do so is just as a matter of fact, not as a punishment, not a part of the Jewish people. So that's why any Jew that does want to be a part of the Jewish people and counted amongst that community must believe in all 13 principles of faith. And that explains the view of the Rambam that anyone that denies that God does not have a body is excluded from the Jewish community. Even though, as the Ravid argues, these are people that made a legitimate mistake because they were trying to do the right thing, studying the Torah. But according to the Rambam, that doesn't make a difference. And since, unfortunately, they ended up with the wrong idea regarding faith, they're excluded from the Jewish people. Now, in the Sefer Pnine Hagriz from Rabbi Moshe Mordechai Schulzinger on page 371, so he also quotes this tradition from Rabbi Chaim, and he uses it to answer a second question on the Rambam. The Rambam lists 13 principles of faith which seem to be more important than the other beliefs of the Torah. So there were many Rishonim and many commentators who questioned, what does the Rambam mean that these 13 ideas are more important than the rest of the Torah. A Jew has to believe that every word and every idea of the Torah is totally true. So why is the Rambam taking these 13 ideas and giving them a special category that they're more central or more important than everything else? It would seem that there's no difference between these 13 principles and any other idea of the Torah. Because if someone denies any verse or any concept of the Torah, if they say, I disagree with that, then that should also label them a heretic. So what does it mean when the Rambam lists 13 principles of faith that if a person believes in those ideas, then they're considered part of the Jewish people? So using this idea, Rab Chaim answered this question on the Rambam too. What the Rambam means is that when it comes to the other hundreds or thousands of ideas in the Torah, if someone denies any one of those, so then of course they're a heretic. But they're only a heretic on condition that they deny it with the intention of denying and rebelling against God. But if they make a valid mistake, for some reason they deny a concept of the Torah for a valid reason, so then that's not considered heresy. Or let's say they don't even know about that idea in the Torah, so again, they're not considered a heretic. A person does not need to be familiar with every concept of the Torah in order to not be considered a heretic. 
The 13 principles of faith are unique. They have the status that if someone never heard of one of them or if they don't believe in one of them because of an accident or a valid excuse, so they're still considered a heretic, as Rab Chaim said. So that's exactly what the Rambam means to be saying when he articulates these 13 special beliefs. What distinguishes them from every other concept of the Torah is that in general, a valid excuse or a lack of knowledge does not qualify someone as a heretic. If someone actively rebels against the Torah, so then denying anything makes them a heretic. But if their intentions are pure, they just made a mistake, so it's not considered heresy to make a mistake in the study of Torah. But the 13 principles are unique that even a mistake in those 13 principles or even a lack of knowledge qualify someone as a heretic. So that's the unique status of the 13 principles. The way Rab Chaim explains it using this approach, the 13 principles are where we apply this idea that a valid excuse is irrelevant, but we don't apply this hardline approach to mistakes in understanding other areas of Torah. So that's what differentiates the 13 principles, that that's where we apply Nebuchadnezzar is Oichanapikor. So that is Rab Chaim's overall explanation of the Rambam. Now, Rabbi Elchanan quotes a very solid proof to Rabbi Chaim because he says every person who believes in idolatry is mistaken. That's like almost the definition of idolatry, that a person goes ahead and believes something that's nonsensical. So if we're going to allow people to give excuses in the realm of faith, then every idolater could show up in heaven and say, well, I made a mistake because of X, Y, and Z. The people I grew up with taught me this. My parents taught me this. They can always blame it on someone. So it must be the fact that we hold idolaters accountable for what they do has to mean that there's no excuses in the realm of faith. And if someone believes something that they should not have, so they're responsible for it, even if they have valid excuses. So Rabbi Elchanan has a great proof for Rabbi Chaim's idea from every idolater who believes something that doesn't really make sense. Now, on the other hand, Rabbi Elchanan then poses two very strong questions against Rabbi Chaim's whole interpretation. The first is from a baby. A Jewish child does not learn about the 13 principles of faith until, let's say, they're at least six or seven years old. So all of the early years of their life, they are a Jew who does not believe in the 13 principles of faith. And according to Rab Chaim, that they have to earn their place in the Jewish people, that baby should not be considered a Jew in full standing. And that's obviously not how we think about Jewish babies. As soon as they're born, they're already considered a full legitimate Jew. We don't wait until they grow up and understand the 13 principles of faith. So question number one on Rab Chaim is from a baby, a small child who does not believe because they don't know about these principles of faith, and yet they're not considered a heretic, they're not excluded from the community of the Jewish people. Question number two is that there's a concept in halacha called a tinok shenishba, a baby who was captured, and what that basically means is someone who grew up not learning about Judaism, they were raised in an environment where nobody ever taught them about Judaism. So we don't hold that person and fully responsible 
for all of the sins that they commit, for the fact that they don't live an observant Jewish life, because we give them the benefit of the doubt that no one ever taught them what to do. Had they been raised properly and given a good chinuch, a Jewish education, then we assume they would have followed in the proper path. Jewish parents and educators spend so much time and energy trying to teach Jewish children to live a Torah lifestyle. So someone who never benefited from any of that and they just show up into adulthood without having been taught the basics of Judaism, we can't really blame them or punish them for what they subsequently do. So this sure also sounds unlike Rab Chaim because according to Rab Chaim, it shouldn't matter why they don't know about Judaism. All that matters is at the end of the day, they do not believe in the principles of faith. So we should hold them fully accountable. So the fact that the halacha distinguishes sharply between a heretic, someone who grew up learning about Judaism and rejected it, versus a tinok shenishba, someone who never really had a chance, and the halacha does not hold that person fully responsible, sounds unlike Rab Chaim, that there is a certain leniency or flexibility for people who were not taught about matters of faith. Now, this category of Tinok Shanishba is extremely relevant nowadays because a huge percentage, if not a vast majority of non-observant Jews fall into the category of Tinok Shanishba, people who were never taught anything. So it's going to make a big difference how we relate to those people, whether we take Rab Chaim's view that they're still responsible for their lack of faith, or we take Rab Elchanan's, which is going to be the mainstream view that we do give them leniency and we don't really hold them responsible for their lifestyle and their lack of observance. So there's a lot to discuss about Rab Chaim's approach, and many of the commentators debate it. There's a commentary on Rab Elchanan's Kovitz Ma'amarim called Shar Elchanan, by Rabbi Naftali Selingat. And in the back, he has a lengthy discussion about Rab Chaim's view. So almost everything I'm going to share in the rest of this recording comes from that sefer. So the first issue with Rab Chaim's approach is that the Rambam himself in Moranavuchim, Chelek Aleph, Perak Lamed Vav, asks the Ravid's question, even though he never saw the Ravid's comments, but the Rambam on his own asks this same question on his view, and then he seems to answer it a bit differently than Rab Chaim. So it sounds like the Rambam himself had a different approach to resolve this than Rab Chaim's. The Rambam asks, why should someone who believes that God has a body be considered a heretic when it's the psukim, it's the language of the Torah which caused them to make a mistake? So the Rambam makes two points in response. First, he argues that this person is responsible for not finding out the truth because they should have sought out a good Jewish commentator, a good Jewish teacher, in order to teach them that when the Torah refers to God, God's body, it's a metaphor, but not to take it literally. So the fact that this person just read the Torah, took everything literally, and didn't seek out any proper interpretation is their fault. Second, the Rambam adds that it's so easy to find out the proper Jewish interpretation because the commentaries of Unculus and Yonas and Ben Uziel, two of the early translations of the Torah, make a concerted, consistent effort that every time the Torah uses language to describe 
like God physically, they reinterpret it in a metaphorical way. So literally all this person needed to do was look over at the side of the page at Unculus and read his comments and they would have seen that he's consistently reinterpreting the language of the Torah to imply that God does not have a body. So basically the Rambam's response to the Ravid's question that this person is not responsible for taking the Torah literally is that they are responsible because it was their job to find out the proper interpretation and to not be lazy and just take the Torah at face value, which is what caused them to believe that God has a body. Now, there are some commentators, and the Shar El-Khanan on page 335 quotes that the Mishnah Srishonim on the Rambam, as well as the Ma'oz Latam on the 13 Principles of Faith, so they understand that the Rambam's solution in the Mora Nevuchim is different from Rab Chaim, because basically the Rambam is agreeing with the Raivid that in general, when it comes to matters of faith, we do apply the leniency of Ones, so if someone makes a valid mistake, they're not considered a heretic. But the Rambam believes that this issue of whether God has physical form or not is an exception because it's so easy to clarify. So it becomes each person's responsibility to clarify the truth and not to just be lazy and say, well, I read in the Torah that it sounds this way. But that's specifically with regards to this situation where a person has easy access to the truth. So there the Rambam believes that it becomes their responsibility. But there are other cases where a person is not able to easily clarify a matter of faith. So there the Rambam would agree that they're not considered a heretic if they have a valid reason for why they don't believe the truth. So according to this interpretation, the Rambam in the Moranavuchim is saying something different than Rab Chaim, which would undermine on some level Rab Chaim's approach that there's no excuses in matters of faith because it would mean that the Rambam himself didn't really believe in that. So even though Rab Chaim does offer interpretations of the Rambam, which are at odds with what the Rambam himself answers elsewhere, so Rab Chaim himself might not have backed down from his interpretation of the Rambam's ruling in Hilchus Tshuva because the Rambam in the Moranavuchim said differently, but it would undermine the overall authority of this approach if it goes against the Rambam's own view. View. On the other hand, the Shar al Khanan himself suggests that this is exactly what the Rambam means to say in the Mora Nebuchim. It's not that this is an exception, that in this case the person can clarify the truth, but in other cases they can't. What the Rambam means to say is that anyone who doesn't know the truth is considered a heretic whether or not they have a valid excuse for not knowing the truth. So according to his reading, the Rambam in the Mornavuchim is a very strong support for Rab Chaim's approach because the Rambam is basically saying what Rab Chaim suggested, maybe in a little bit different language, but he's arriving at the same idea. Now, whether you can really force Rab Chaim's idea into the language of the Rambam in the Mornavuchim, as the Shar al-Khanan suggests, is questionable. So there really does seem to be a problem from the Mornavuchim against Rab Chaim's proposed solution. But it's worth noting that there is the view, the Shar al-Khanan, who thinks that the Moranavuchim supports Rab Chaim's approach. Now on page 332 and 338, the Shar al-Khanan quotes a very important passage from the Abar Benel in chapter 12 of his book Rosh Amuna, which discusses the 13 principles of faith. And the Abar Benel does say something very similar to Rab Chaim. He argues that according to 
the Rambam, it's not possible to say that someone is a heretic. They totally disregard the views of Judaism. They don't believe in the basic rules of faith. And yet they're not considered a heretic because they have valid excuses for why they don't believe in any of the principles of faith. He says that that totally doesn't make sense. If someone actively rejects the views of Judaism, so then they should be considered a heretic whether or not they have valid excuses. So this is an idea very similar to Rab Chaim, but it's worth pointing out that there's still a big difference between Rab Chaim and the Abarbanel because the Abarbanel is limiting his ideas to someone who actively believes in heresy. So they specifically believe in things which go against the beliefs of the Torah. So instead of believing in one God, they believe in two gods. They actively believe in things which are heretical. There the Abarbanel says there's no excuses. And of course, Rab Chaim would agree with that in his interpretation of the Rambam. But Rab Chaim goes a step further. He includes even people who don't know anything about this topic. So let's say someone has never thought about whether there's one God or two gods. They're unfamiliar with the whole issue. It totally is of no interest to them. According to Rab Chaim, since they don't actively know that there's one God, that's still considered a heretic. Whereas according to the Abarbanel, since this person has no opinion whatsoever, so they would not be included in his category of a heretic. According to the Abarbanel, this idea is limited to someone who actively believes in heresy, but someone who has no opinion whatsoever, they've never thought about the issue, is not considered a heretic. So there is a key difference between the Abarbanel's formulation and Rab Chaim's. Now at this point, again, it's worth seeing how some of these views play out in the contemporary world, because with the Abarbanel's approach, we have a second argument for leniency. Most Jews in the contemporary world do not believe in the 13 principles of faith, which means that according to Rab Chaim, they are included in the halachic category of heretics and it doesn't matter what the reasons are that they don't believe. Now there are two arguments against Rab Chaim. Rab Elchanan argues that there's a leniency because they were not given a proper Jewish education in their childhood. They were never exposed to these ideas. And the Abarbanel has a second argument for leniency for Jews who don't actively believe in heresy. So for many Jews, it's not that they actively disbelieve in the Torah. They just don't think about these kinds of things. They're not the types of issues that interest them. So according to the Abarbanel, that also would not be considered heresy, even though practically they don't believe in the 13 principles of faith, but it's more out of apathy. They just don't care about religious things, so that's not considered heresy. So now let's come back to Rebbe Hanan's question on Rab Chaim, why a baby is not considered a heretic, since they too do not believe in the 13 principles of faith. So in the Shar El Hanan on page 337, he quotes two different approaches to answer this. The first is from the Sefer Mishnas Yisrael, and he suggests that since a baby is most likely going to be taught about the principles of faith, so eventually when he grows up, he will believe in the 13 principles of faith. So that's an exception to the case Rab Chaim's discussing, which is an adult who doesn't believe in the 13 principles of faith. So basically, we have to factor in where this person is headed. 
an adult who doesn't believe in the 13 principles is probably not going to change their mind. So that person is considered a heretic even if they didn't grow up with a Jewish education. But a baby, even though right now they don't believe, but since it's highly likely that they will believe after they receive a Jewish education, so even right now when they're a baby, they're considered a member of the Jewish faith in good standing. The second approach that he quotes is from the Sefer Shuva Yisrael, and he modifies Rab Chaim's approach a little bit. Unlike Rab Elchanan, who said that if someone doesn't believe, regardless of why, they're not considered part of the Jewish people, so he interprets Rab Chaim a little differently, that he means to say that since heresy is such a severe sin, so someone who makes a mistake in that is responsible for it, because it's such a serious sin more than other sins. So of course, that only applies to an adult who's responsible to begin with. But a child who has no responsibility to do any mitzvahs, they have no agency, they don't have the maturity to be held responsible for anything. So even though they don't know about matters of faith, they're not considered responsible at all, so they're not considered a heretic. So that's his approach to answer the question from a baby, and that, of course, modifies Rab Chaim's view a little bit. It's not that anyone who doesn't believe is considered a heretic, it's just anyone who should believe, who's an adult with the proper maturity and wisdom to in general believe and they still make a mistake in such a serious sin so that person is responsible even though it's a mistake. So that's a different twist on Rab Chaim's approach and it also opens the door to suggest that even within Rab Chaim's hardline approach there is some leniency for someone who was not raised with any awareness of Judaism and it's not their responsibility that they didn't have access to these ideas. So we'll see later on that there is a tradition within Rab Chaim that modifies and mitigates this very much, and it's based on this sort of rereading of Reb Chaim, unlike Reb Elchanan's more hardline read of Reb Chaim. In addition, and along these lines, the Shar al Khanan himself suggests that maybe Rab Chaim could be read in line with the Abar Benel. So again, what Rab Chaim is saying is that someone who actively believes in heresy is considered a heretic, but someone who's never thought about the issue is not. So that would answer the question from the baby. It's not that the baby actively disbelieves in the Torah. It's just that they don't know anything about these issues. So that's why the baby's not considered a heretic. So again, that's a rereading of Rab Chaim, unlike Rab Elchanan's twist to say that Rab Chaim means something more similar to the Abar Benel, that active heresy is a problem, but not knowing anything about the 13 principles is not. But before we get to more lenient re-readings of Rab Chaim, it's worth noting that many disagree with Rab Chaim's view about this, and two of the most prominent commentators to disagree with him are Reb Elchanan and the Chazon Ish. Reb Elchanan himself disagrees with Rab Chaim, and he interprets this issue differently, and this is based on his idea that he develops in his Sefer that the principles of faith are really natural to people. Organically, people will believe in the true beliefs. The only reason people don't believe in true beliefs is not an intellectual problem. It's an emotional problem, according to Rabbi Elchanan, because they want to sin. They want to be able to follow their desires and they feel guilty if they don't rationalize it by not believing. 
So that's Rebel Khanan's own theory that he develops in this Sefer. And obviously there's a lot to say about that, but that's not our topic for right now. Based on this idea though, Rebel Khanan suggests that when it comes to heresy, so if a person actually makes a fully legitimate mistake, in other words, there was no way intellectually that they could have arrived at the truth, so that's not considered heresy. But if their mistake is only because they were looking to rationalize their lifestyle, which according to Rebel Hanan is one of the main reasons for heresy. So that's not considered a valid intellectual mistake. That's considered heresy. So basically, Rebbe Hanan is distinguishing between two different types of mistakes that people make. If it's a truly valid, legitimate error, so then they're not responsible for that and they're not considered a heretic. But if it's the type of error people make because they're looking subconsciously without realizing it to rationalize what they want to do, so that's considered heresy. So this is how Rebel Khanan suggests making sense of the debate between the Rambam and the Raivid, that they are debating what level mistake is it when someone reads the Torah and just interprets it literally to mean that God has a body. So according to the Raivid, that's considered a legitimate mistake because they're not looking to rationalize themselves. They legitimately made a mistake because of the simple interpretation of the Torah. So the Raivid says, since this is a real intellectual mistake, they're not considered a heretic. On the other hand, the Rambam holds that if they were truly looking for the truth, then they would have seen through the surface error of reading the Torah and they would have interpreted it properly. So the fact that they misinterpreted it means that they're trying to rationalize them. So basically, both the Rambam and the Raivid agree in principle that a real intellectual mistake is a valid mistake and that person is not a heretic, but someone who's just rationalizing their beliefs, so they're forcing their mind to follow what what they want it to say. So that's not considered a valid mistake, but that's heresy. The debate between the Rambam and the Raivid is where along the spectrum does the case of someone who believes God has a body because they read it in the Torah, where does that fall in terms of these two cases? So Rebel Hanan's approach makes sense of the baby because since they truly legitimately have no idea about the 13 principles, of course they're not a heretic. And it also makes sense of the case of a Tinok Shanishba someone who grew up with no access to Jewish ideas and teachings because they too have a very valid excuse for why they don't believe. So according to Rebbe Hanan, in cases of truly valid excuses, that person is not considered a heretic. So again, Rebbe Hanan has a somewhat different formulation of this whole category than Rab Chaim does. And he allows for more of a leniency in a case where a person legitimately has a valid excuse for not believing that they're not considered a heretic. And also the Chazon Ish disagreed with Rab Chaim, not explicitly, but the Chazon Ish makes clear that he has a different view of this issue. And this point is made by Rab Chaim Pinchas Scheinberg in one of the early volumes of Yeshurin, the Torah Journal, in volume 6, page 394. So Rab Scheinberg points out that the Chazon Ish disagrees with Rab Chaim about this, and he explains the debate between them the way we formulated it earlier, 
that the issue is whether a heretic is a punishment or it's just a fact. It's a statement of reality. So according to Rab Chaim, it's not a punishment. It's just a fact. So even if the person has a valid excuse, it doesn't make a difference because at the end of the day, they don't believe. So they're included in the category of heretics. As opposed to the Chazon Ish who holds that it's like any other sin, there's a punishment because they don't believe. So since the whole issue of heresy is a matter of reward and punishment, so like any other area of halacha, it matters whether this person is at fault or not. It matters whether they're responsible. So if they're onus, if they have a valid excuse for why they don't believe, then they won't get punished, which means they're not considered a heretic. So that's the Chazon Ish's debate with Rab Chaim. And the Chazon Ish has a proof for this because the Gemara in Makos Chesamud Beis says that if someone kills a kuti by accident, they go into exile. Now the kutim were heretics because they didn't believe in the oral Torah. So the Chazonish questions, why should someone go into exile for killing a heretic by accident? So he answers that it must be referring to the children, the second and third generation of the Kutim, who were already raised without a proper Jewish education. They were never taught about the oral law. So the fact that they don't believe in it is a result of their upbringing, not their own decision. So according to the Chazonish, they're not considered apikorsim, they're considered a tinok shenishba, but they don't get punished for this belief, and if someone kills them by accident, they go into exile. And similarly, famously, the Chazonish applies the concept of tinok shenishba to non-observant Jews nowadays, and he says that we don't treat them with the full severity of the punishments that were given to heretics in the olden days, because they don't know any better. And in the olden days, when God's presence was more openly revealed so people were more at fault for not believing in God. But nowadays when God is hidden and it's hard to see him in the world, so we can't hold people to the same level as in previous generations. So basically the Chazonish has a much more tolerant attitude towards non-observant people nowadays. Unlike Rab Chaim, he does not say that since they don't believe in the 13 principles, they're automatically excluded from the Jewish people and their heretics. But he agrees with the mainstream view that since they have a valid excuse because of the world that they live in and were raised in, so we do not give them the status of heretics, but we should have compassion and treat them nicely and include them in the Jewish people and try to bring them closer to the Torah. So Rabbi Elchanan and the Chazon Ish disagree with Rabbi Chaim's approach. Now the Shar Elchanan also points out that the classic halachic authorities also seem to disagree with Rabbi Chaim's approach because the Beis Yosef in Yoridea, Simon Kufnun Tes, and this is followed by the Shach there in the Nekudas HaKesef, they both quote a statement of the Rambam regarding the Karaites, who were people who also did not believe in the Oral Torah, but the Rambam said that the subsequent generations should not be held responsible because they're a Tinok Shanishba. So they quote that ruling of the Rambam for practical halacha. So that again seems to agree with the overall view, unlike Rab Chaim, that even people who do not believe in all the principles of faith, but they have a valid excuse because of how they were raised, are not held responsible. Responsible, and that would certainly be the case for many contemporary Jews nowadays. So there does seem to be somewhat of a consensus here. Even Rab Chaim, who does suggest this approach in the Rambam, but he too would agree that the Ravid disagrees with his conclusion. So even Rab Chaim understands that there are views that indicate the other way. But either way, we now have certainly the Ravid, perhaps the Rambam, according to the Beis Yosef and the Shach. We have the Beis Yosef and the Shach themselves, as well as the Chazon Ish. So many great halachic authorities all concluding that people who were not raised with Torah 
if they don't believe in the principles of faith in adulthood, should not be held fully responsible and we should have leniency on them. Now, the final point that we'll look at is whether there's room to be lenient even within Rab Chaim's own approach. So we've already seen that Rab Chaim has a much more hardline approach to this issue and we've seen that there's somewhat of a consensus unlike Rab Chaim. But there is some discussion that possibly even within Rab Chaim's interpretation, there is room to be lenient. So this Reb Moshe Sternbach in his Chuvas Van Hagos Chelek Bey's Simintaf Samach goes through and he discusses the issue which Reb Elchanan already asked of how Reb Chaim accounts for the halachic leniency of a Tinok Nishba. The halacha is clear that someone who grew up unexposed to Jewish ideas so they were never taught properly has a different status than a regular heretic. Whereas according to Reb Chaim it shouldn't make a difference the fact that they have a good excuse. So as we saw, this is one of the main arguments of the Beis Yosef and the Shach, the people who disagree with Rab Chaim, because the Rambam explicitly applies this leniency to the Karaites, that even though they are heretics, since they grew up without being taught the truth, they have a valid excuse. So Rav Sturmbach quotes an unbelievable comment from Rav Chaim's son, the Briskerov, and he argued that in fact this is based on a corrupted edition of the Rambam. Our Rambam in Hilchus Mamrim Paragimel Halacha Gimel, when he rules that the Karoim have leniency, so he ends, Lefichach Roy Lachziram Betshuva, therefore we should help them to do Teshuva, to repent, Ulemoshcham Bedivrei Shalom Ad Shiyachzru Leesan HaTorah, and to bring them back with words of peace until they come back to the Torah. So according to our printed editions of the Rambam, he's saying a very strong leniency for a Tinok Shanishba. Anyone who has a valid reason for why they don't believe in the 13 principles of faith should be treated basically like any other Jew and not like a heretic. So the Briskerov said that this is a censored edition of the Rambam. And in the early editions, the actual wording of the Rambam, he ends with the phrase, V'lo yimaher adam lahargan. A person shouldn't rush to kill the Tinok Shanishba who's now a heretic. So this is a totally different twist on what the Rambam's saying. He's not saying that a Tinok Shanishba has an endless leeway to not believe. He's just saying that we give them some time to try to teach them the Torah. But if after that they don't accept the Torah, so then we do treat them like a heretic. So this is a totally different approach to it. Basically, the question is a Tinok Shanishba who is exposed to the truth in adulthood. So let's say someone grows up in a non observant home, but then they move to a Jewish community. So now they meet knowledgeable Jews and they're exposed to the truths of Judaism, but it's in adulthood. Or alternatively, someone grows up in a non-observant home, let's say in Israel. So of course they know about Judaism and they know about observant Judaism, but the family they grow up in and the home they live in is not one where those ideas are taught and practiced. So do we consider that person a Tinok Nishba? So there's effective two different approaches to this question. One is that since they do have access to the truths of Judaism, they're no longer a Tinok Shanishba. In other words, the concept of a Tinok Shanishba is a very limited one. It literally means a baby that was kidnapped by non-Jews and raised
raised in a non-Jewish community with no knowledge about Judaism. So the whole leniency only applies to someone that never knew anything about Judaism, but anyone that knows about Judaism, even though they might not have been raised that way, is not considered a Tinoch Shanishba. On the other hand, the other approach is much broader, and it also looks at the emotions and the context of the person involved. So even if someone intellectually has heard or read about Judaism, if they were not raised that way and their parents didn't inspire them to live that life, so we can't say that just because they read in a newspaper or they saw walking down the street someone who believes in Judaism, that they should have to now overturn their whole lifestyle and everything they believe. It's not something that feels natural or organic to them. Being part of the Jewish community is a lifelong process, and we can't just insist that people immediately adopt it as soon as they hear about it in adulthood. So there are these two different perspectives, and we could broadly say that the Beis Yosef and the Shach and the Chazon Ish, so the major halachic authorities, seem to take the view that Tinok Shanishba is a broader leniency. It doesn't only apply to someone who never heard about Judaism, but it includes someone who may have emotional discomfort, or it may sound foreign to them, the ideas of Judaism. So that would include a huge swath of contemporary non-observant Jews, as opposed to the view of Rab Chaim and the Briskarov, who have a more extreme view of this issue, and they consider Tinok Shanishba a very limited, literal exception for a baby that was kidnapped by non-Jews and knows nothing about Judaism. But a contemporary non-observant Jew who grows up in a non-observant family but knows that there are Jews who believe out there, and in adulthood they very often do learn more about Jewish belief, so those people would not be considered a Tinok Shanishba according to the Soloveitchik more extreme tradition. And it seems likely that even Rabbi Elchanan, who we saw earlier is more lenient than Rab Chaim, but he too would agree with this definition of a Tinok Shanishba because again, his whole distinction is between whether it's a valid intellectual mistake or it's an emotionally driven rationalization. So it seems likely that he would limit Tinok Shanishba to someone who literally knows nothing about Judaism, so that's a valid mistake. But someone who's exposed to the ideas of Judaism and still does not accept it, so Rabbi Elchanan might consider that a rationalization as opposed to, say, the Chazon Ish, who would hold that since they didn't learn about it when they were a child, and it's not something that comes naturally to them, so we still consider them a Tinok Shanishba. So this is a very broad-ranging debate about the nature of faith and what constitutes heresy under Halacha, and it has huge ramifications for how we view contemporary non-observant Jews. Now, Rav Sternbach, who's very much connected to the Soloveitchik tradition, he's a major student of the Briskarov, and his brother-in-law is Rav David Soloveitchik, the Briskarov's son, so he's very much in the inner circle of the Soloveitchik Brisker tradition, so he suggests in his tshuva about this that even according to Rab Chaim and the Briskarov's more extreme tradition, but we still have to say that contemporary Jews who are raised with nothing, even when they become adults, they still have a category of a Tinok Shanishba, and we don't consider them a heretic. So even though overall Rab Chaim has a more extreme view of this, and he's more demanding that people have to believe the right thing, but there is a level where a person has so little responsibility for their lack of belief that we don't blame them at all, and they're not considered a heretic. So this is the view that we mentioned earlier, 
that even Rab Chaim's hardline view of heresy has limitations and contemporary Jews, we can be lenient and consider them not heretics, but people who are unfortunately never exposed to the truth. So that is Rav Sternbach's modification of Rab Chaim. And as we saw earlier, there are others who suggest similar approaches. Now, on the other hand, Rab Shimshon David Pincus in the Nefesh Shimshon Shari Emuna, page 99, and he's also very much connected to the Soloveitchik tradition. He was a student of Rab Beryl Soloveitchik, a son of the Brisker Rav. And tragically, he was killed quite young in a car accident. So he warns against any modification or leniency within Rab Chaim's view. And he says that there are people who are trying to modify Rab Chaim's ideas, that there has to be some level of culpability or responsibility in order to be considered a heretic. And if they literally have no opportunity to know about Judaism, so they're a full Tinok Shanishba, then they would not be considered a heretic. And he warns against this trend. He says that his tradition from the house of Brisk is that Rab Chaim meant it totally literally. Anyone who does not fully believe in the 13 principles of faith is not a part of the Jewish people and they cannot be rewarded in the world to come. And it doesn't make a difference if they had no opportunity to learn the Jewish faith and it's totally not their responsibility. The sad fact is that they cannot be a part of the Jewish people if they don't believe fully in the faith of the Jewish people. So basically we have two opposing trends here. Rav Sternbach, even within Rav Chaim, carves out some leniency that we can view contemporary non-observant Jews as people who really have no responsibility. It's not their fault, and they're not in the category of heresy, whereas Rav Pincus takes Rav Chaim very literally, the way Rav Elchanan explained him, that in order to be a part of the Jewish people, a person must believe in the proper beliefs, and if not, they cannot be a part of the Jewish people. So that's the big debate within Rav Chaim, with major ramifications for how we view a majority of the Jewish people nowadays. But again, as we said, it's already clear that the consensus of the poskim is against Rab Chaim's approach and that there is great leniency with how Halacha views contemporary non-observant Jews. Now I'll end this discussion with some fascinating tidbits about the Brisker Rav's practices regarding davening with the Minyan. And we'll see though that there's a problem here because he doesn't seem to be following his father's view that we just went through. So this information comes from the Sefer Eleba Tamar from Rab Aaron Leib Steinman, and one of the volumes is about the Brisker figures. And Rab Steinman actually was a native of Brisk, so he grew up in Brisk, so he knew the Soloveitchiks when he was a child, and that relationship continued throughout his life, so he really had a lot of inside information about them. So on page 75, he tells about the Briskerov's practices about davening with the minion, and basically the Briskerov was not strict about trying to always daven with the minion which was in line with his father, his family tradition. Rab Chaim also was not so strict about Minyan. Rav Soloveitchik in his transcripts in the Rav, so he writes that he did start being strict about Minyan, but that was a change from him, from his family tradition. So overall, the Soloveitchiks were not strict about Minyan, and the Brisker Rav as well was not strict. On Shabbos, he would daven with the Minyan, but it's not clear if he would daven Shachris with the Minyan. And even on the Yomim Noroyim, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, Rav Steinman reports that he would daven Shachris at home alone and then come to Shul for Musaf. So just unbelievable information. He also quotes that the Mariel Diskin, who was the Rav in Brisk earlier before the Beis HaLevi, that he also used to daven alone and not with the Minyan. So it seems like in Brisk for many generations, the Rav was not that strict about going to Minyan. And it's 
unclear why these Torah giants were not strict about something as important as davening with a minion. Now, with regards to the brisker rub, the reason he davened alone seems to be because he would enunciate every word very clearly. So he davened out loud. And when it came to Shema, he would repeat words over and over again until he got it exactly right. So that would have been very disturbing to other people in a minion. It would have been very hard for him to daven in a room with other people. And he probably also couldn't have kept up with the minion. So that's why he seems to have davened alone. But obviously that has nothing to do with the rest of us who just zoom through our words of davening. So we have no excuse to be davening without a minion. Then Rav Steinman records something else remarkable about the Briskorov's davening habits. And he says that he used to daven everything at the last minute. So Shachris he would daven right before the end of the time for Shachris. Mincha he would daven right before sunset. And Marav he would daven right before midnight and sometimes even after midnight. So unlike we probably imagine in our fantasies how Torah giants operate, that they all start at the crack of dawn, davening Shachris Vasikin, but the Briskorov seems to have been a night person. So he would stay up late learning all night and then he would wake up a little later and he would daven Shachris a little later. And then he reports that the Chazon Ish was the exact opposite. He would daven everything as soon as possible. So he would wake up early, daven shachris at sunrise, vasikin. He would daven mincha early in the afternoon and mariv right at nightfall. So each of these Torah giants had a different personality in terms of when they davened and their learning schedule. And this is a very important reminder for us that Torah giants come in all shapes and sizes. And we shouldn't make the mistake of thinking that Torah giants are automatically morning people, that they they start at the crack of dawn, ready to go, and that must be the schedule of a Torah giant. But we should remember that there are different types of people in the world. God made morning people, God made night people, and any one of them can become a towering Torah giant by dedicating their energy and their time to studying and understanding Torah. So if someone is a night person and they find it hard to go to sleep early and wake up early, they should remember the example of the Briskarov, who also seems to have been a night person, and his total absolute commitment and dedication to studying and understanding Torah, and that should inspire them, and they need not worry about their sleeping schedule. So that's an amazing tradition from this report of Rav Steinman regarding the Brisker Rav's davening schedule, that he would daven everything at the last possible minute. So we've seen about the Brisker Rav and a minion, and we've seen about when the Brisker Rav davened. Now Rav Steinman reports a third aspect of the Brisker Rav's davening schedule, and that is that at times he did need a minion. So especially on Monday and Thursdays, even though he davened chakras by himself, but then later on in the day, he would need a minion in order to read the Torah. So because he didn't go to shul, he was at home, what they would do is they would start rounding people up from the street in order to make a minion for him. Now the briskorov had another stringency, which is he held that a minion for reading the Torah has to consist of 10 people who have not heard the Torah reading that day. So basically, it's later in the day on Monday and Thursday, and they're searching for a minion of people who have not yet heard laning in order to make a minion in the Briskorov's home for laning. 
So very often the only people they could find who had not yet heard laning, who hadn't gone to shul, were non-observant people. And he even reports that they would pull these people into the briskerov's house and sometimes they would have to find a yarmulke for them because they were walking around bareheaded. So basically the briskerov very often had a minion for laning which consisted of people who were not observant. And Rav Steinman reports that he even thinks the briskerov allowed them to get aliyahs. So Basically, the brisker rub is making a minion with people who are non-observant. Presumably, many of them do not have proper faith. And he's even giving them aliyahs. But either way, he's certainly considering this a valid minion to fulfill the mitzvah of reading from the Torah. So Rav Steinman quotes that someone once asked him, how can you use people who don't have the proper faith? And one of the sources that he quotes is the Chazon Isha's view about a Tinok Shanishba. So effectively, the brisker rub is making a minion with non-observant people based on the Chazon Isha's leniency of Tinok Nishba. So this is a bit of a question because according to Rab Chaim's view that we discussed, there's certainly room to be strict that even if these people are Tinok Nishba, but they're still considered heretics and halacha and they don't count for a minion. So the brisker Rav being lenient about this whole issue and making a minion consisting of non-observant Jews seems to indicate that either he sided with the Chazon Isha view against his father, which seems unlikely, or he had a more lenient interpretation of Rab Chaim's approach to this issue. Either way, we have very strong support from this story of the Brisker Rav, who was Rab Chaim's primary disciple and successor and followed in his father's worldview, that there is strong room to be lenient with non-observant Jews nowadays, to include them in the minion, to treat them as regular Jews, to be kind and compassionate to them, and in no way to treat them as heretics. And while there is legitimate debate about making a minion consisting of non-observant Jews, but it's well worth remembering the Briskarov's example, laning the Torah in his house with a collection of Jews off the street, many of them simple and many of them totally non-observant.